Well, whenever you daydream or try to fall asleep at night, what do you think about? Do you think about family and friends or, or maybe finances, work, school? How about the end times? You thinking about that a lot? I think sometimes we consign talk of the last day to the realm of those who are a bit more eccentric individuals with cult-like followings. But Matthew thought differently. He's clear, like the other gospel writers, that no one knows the day or the hour of Jesus' coming except God. But what is interesting is that it is believed that the lives of Jesus' disciples are to be shaped by this knowledge of his return. In this part of the gospel, Matthew is talking a lot about the master's return and the second coming. And I think the theme is kind of like, you know, that scout motto of be prepared, right? Well, I recently read a story from a son about his dad. When his dad was in seventh grade, he was presenting to the class on the importance of being prepared. He was sitting in the front of the class and he gave his speech. He brilliantly ran through all the ways of being prepared, the importance of being prudent and working diligently to complete the given tasks. His teacher was impressed with his presentation and encouraged him to pursue a career in public speaking and writing. However, to the surprise of the teacher and all of the class, at the end of the speech, this young man stood up, walked out of the room with no pants on. The son goes on to say, the thought of a seventh grade kid doing this always struck me as genius. I really hope he got an A plus on the assignment. Now, was he trying to be a punk kid? Or was he trying to show how you can never be prepared for what life throws at you and you need to just roll with the punches? I suspect it was a combination of both. I think in a funny way, the story reminds us that things happen when we don't expect them. So what is Jesus trying to tell us as he tells us to be prepared? In our first reading, Amos also has a word to us about that last day as he says, Alas, for you who desire the day of the Lord, why do you want the day of the Lord? It is darkness, not light. As if someone fled from a lion and was met by a bear or rested a hand against a wall and was bitten by a snake. Is not the day of the Lord darkness, not light, and gloom? with no brightness in it. There's almost an emotion of anger running through our readings that we don't always pick up or want to pick up. The harsh words of the prophet Amos and the parable of the bridesmaids are not pointless, misdirected frustrations, but a prophetic call for change, a passionate plea that we redirect our focus. Amos is asking the question, what good is worship if it doesn't change your lives or the lives of your neighbors? What good is worship if it doesn't spur us to make justice happen for our siblings? The anger we encounter in Amos is a righteous kind, the kind intended 
to call us into action. And I don't believe the point of Amos or the parable in Matthew is about constant readiness. Keep awake does not imply that the disciples should never sleep standing vigil through the ages for Christ's imminent return. In fact, if you remember, all the bridesmaids fell asleep. I believe the anger expressed in the parable of the bridesmaids is that of fear of missing out. Jesus is the light of the world, and so are you, he says. We hear that every time we baptize a child. But if your light grows dim, tired, exhausted, and weary, you cannot see the road ahead. So we let Jesus' light guide the way. We heard that last week, right? Those that we call saints have helped to light our way, and we are called to do that too. For some of you who have been to Israel or just understand times and uh, understand life in Bible times, you know that an important part of their lives are the olive tree and the olive oil. Oil was an essential commodity to the people of Jesus' day. You needed oil to cook and to make your food filling and tasty. Olive oil was the base for such essential things as medicines or some luxury items like makeup or perfume. Oil and grain were among the mandated sacrifices to be offered in the temple. Oil was used for some of the most sacred rituals of the nation, the anointing of kings and priests, where it became a rich symbol of God's favor. And of course, oil was used as fuel. In those days before electric lights, the usual means of illumination was this humble clay lamp whose wick drank precious oil to burn brightly so all could see. And so, not surprisingly, the oil that fueled those lamps became a symbol of human obedience to God, a way of talking about the kind of life that God can shine through us to brighten the dark places of the world. Centuries before Jesus, the prophet Micah picked up on this symbolism when he asked, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before God on high? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams and with 10,000 rivers of oil? And then he went on to answer his own question to describe what was as precious, as useful, as necessary, as holy as oil. In fact, even more precious and holy. What is Really, a worthy offering to God, he said, is a life that draws its fuel from God's own heart. When Matthew recorded his, this parable, he did so for the sake of a church that was kind of getting off track and its anxiety about the future. The first Christians thought that Jesus was returning for them soon. And when he didn't, when years dragged into decades and this end still hadn't come, many of them got caught up in trying to read the signs of the times and figure out when Christ would come, even though Jesus said they would not know. But that didn't stop people from speculating and arguing and creating much more heat 
than light. Others, on the other hand, when Jesus did not return, simply gave up hoping in him and returned to their former non-Christian lives and commitments. Well, and some things never change. We see many other people drifting away from the church as it seems less and less relevant to daily life. And many others for whom religion is not so much a matter of commitment to God as it is a matter of buying fire insurance. Pay the minimum possible, say a theologically correct confession of Jesus as Savior, and you'll be bailed out when you need it. But no one's going to miss out on the kingdom of God. However, they do miss out on the resilience, the strength, and the peace that fuels us right now. Throughout his ministry, Jesus spoke of a new creation, a reality begins to take visible shape here and now in the lives of those who follow him. The already present yet still to be realized kingdom of heaven. That is how we are ready. It is this that Jesus calls us to be part of, even though the world around us hasn't caught on. Live tomorrow's life today. Fuel yourselves with all that you know and have experienced of the love and the nature of God and of God's concern for the world. Let that oil drawn into the fibers of your daily existence flame brightly, bringing God's light into the world. Get some oil for your lamps and keep it burning. Have you ever thought how different this parable might have been if the bridesmaids with the oil had shared their oil or at least shared their lamps? If you're not ready, they could have said, let us show you how to be prepared. What good is the kingdom of heaven if we have not lived our lives in such a way as to light the pathway for others? What good is worship if we leave the building unmoved by the cries of justice all around us? Here, today, together, we are surrounded by the faithful of every time and place. We celebrate Christ's coming into our midst. Here is where we are steeped in the word and fed by Christ. Here is where we come to bring our humble hearts, our honest worship, where our burdens are lifted and our joy is restored. We come before the bridegroom, the Savior, and we are ready to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with our God so that others can see that light of justice, kindness, and the love of God. Amen.